Hello, everyone, and welcome to week nine, well, week 10, episode nine of the Hurry and Yell podcasts. Uh, we've got some good college games this week. We got some World Series to talk about where I'm going to get more than a minute to talk about it. And uh, if we have enough time, we might delve into a little bit of college basketball. So we're going to get right to it after we talk about the beer, of course. Today, well, first of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't introduce ourselves. My name is Patrick. Across from me is the unwilling captain of the friend zone, Brian. (laughs) Today, we are drinking 10-Pin Brewing Snake Eye Stout, a fine selection from my co-host. This is from Moses Lake which is, I think, most notable nationally for that kid who shot up the school in the 90s. He shot his teacher or something. Kip Kinkle, was that his name? Sounds about (laughs) right. Um, Moses Lake was where I would always have baseball tournaments every summer. It was the furthest we would ever play. We always played horrible there because we were in a car for two hours. We usually have to leave at like 5.30 in the morning, and it just never ended well. I think that if you're if you're uh, not used to the long drive, um, most of the time you're not going to play well. Right. We had a high school playoff game that we had to drive up to Ferndale. It's about three hours on a Friday night. Got our ass kicked. Probably would have got our ass kicked anyway. But it was seventeen nothing before we could blink. One of the best basketball games I played was a weekday game from Spokane to Clarkston, which was about an hour and a half. Um, maybe that's because Clarkston sucked. The team, the freshman team sucked. It was my freshman year. Clarkston so. sucks. Josh Heitvelt was on varsity. He wasn't on the freshman team, so they were without their best player. Well, they're probably all high on shrooms if he's their big. That's true. He was their big yeah. guy. Anyways. Literally. Yeah, Moses Lake 10-pin Snake Eye Stout. It is, it, a, it is a fine stout. It doesn't have a lot of bite to it. It's smooth without being too uh, milky. And it is 6.3%. Yeah, that's kind of dainty. Yeah, well, it's a 22 and it's a weeknight. <clears throat> well, All right. we're going to skip what we got right, what we got wrong last week because there was no... Last week, I'm going to take most of the responsibility for that one. Um, new, as you should. New promotion, just going crazy, oh, going busy. Oh humble yeah. brag. No, it's a straight up brag. It's just God. a you know got promoted, so I have to put in more hours to learn what the hell I'm doing. Join the club. Yep. Um, I got promoted, and you got a new job. So that is worthy of another cheers. So congratulations to us both. All right. Let's get right to it. What what do we got first on the docket here, sir? Jim McElwain. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. He's a top guy on my list that I made at lunch today. Um, I don't feel bad for him. I thought that he would do exactly as well as he would do wins-losses-wise. I thought his offense would be better, honestly. Um, But there's one thing that the Florida Gators, and I said this, I believe, in episode one, Do not accept. They don't accept bad offense, and they don't accept not winning the SEC. Uh, They probably fired Will Muschamp early, too early. Um, They gave him, what, three years? I think so. 
and he was learning on the job. And the, the people, you, you just don't—they don't give anybody time anymore. And Cal, you get four years, tops. Well, and Muschamp recruited some really good talent, of which McElwain won twenty games his first two years. One position, though, for some reason, they could just never recruit. Well, uh, th- th- this is this is what doesn't make sense about Florida. Muschamp, I get the guy couldn't identify a quarterback for the life of him. But McElwain's supposed to be an offensive guy, even though I never thought he did a great job at Alabama at all when he was the offensive coordinator. He there. had Grayson Gunheim at Colorado State. Grayson Gunheim is actually a former Husky defensive end. Get your facts right. I don't even know who the hell you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that I was kidding, obviously. But he, he led Colorado State to a bowl game and a bowl win, and their quarterback had – G's at the start of both his first and last name. So, so I was really surprised he got fired before Butch Jones. It's a bigger buyout. But when you make up death threats to try to get sympathy in the press and then refuse to elaborate, Florida just doesn't tolerate that kind of shit. They don't. They don't tolerate losing. They don't tolerate no off. They don't tolerate crap. Unless, of course... Uh, you're Urban Meyer, and you just fill your team with a bunch of murderers. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that his replacement is going to be interesting. Um, the big name in Florida right now, of course, is Scott Frost. With taking over the winless Central Florida team, and one year getting them to a bowl game, and then year two, they're undefeated. They're a top 15 top 20 team in the country. Um, I still think Scott Frost is going to end up at Nebraska, but this complicates things. Another name I'm hearing, and I I don't see it, but it would be entertaining as hell is Chip Kelly. I could see that. I could see that. Um, I don't think Chip Kelly's end up there. I actually don't think Chip Kelly's going to be coaching next year. I don't think he is either. I think he's, he's enjoying what he's doing too much, just chilling and playing golf and getting paid from the Niners still. Well, he's getting paid up on the ESPN to sit there and say like five words on a halftime show. Yeah. I think that he'd actually be happiest now as like an OC or something. Probably. So I think you're right. He's got to continue to innovate, though. If he comes in and, keeps, and he runs that offense, which everyone runs now, it's not going to be as successful as it was at Oregon. Steve Sarkeesian to Florida. Steve Sarkeesian to unemployment. Yeah, they probably. Came, when we uh, talked about it two weeks ago, came out that we were absolutely right. We tweeted that out, that he doesn't layer his play calling. I got a little heated up over that. Um, it was very entertaining, but he, you know, my my esteemed podcast colleague here is if passionate. I, if I'm playing... Hurry and yell podcast bingo. I just crossed off the Brian says esteemed colleague box. Yep. Once an episode. That's that's the that's basically <laughs> the free square for you guys. Um, it's in the first 15 minutes, too. I think uh, you, you were, got really heated and really passionate mm-hmm. about that. And then sure enough, <laughs> you were proved correct. Um, Sarkeesian for lack of a better term, blows his load too early and then just cannot do anything come the fourth quarter because he's run out of ideas. 
It's a chess game. You can't just pull the queen out on the first two turns. Odds are it's not going to work. I am very guilty when I play chess of being too aggressive and coming out too fast too early, and it usually bites me in the ass. So the, I, uh, the other thing that happened last week was Penn State lost. Finally. They, uh, <coughs> sorry, you have to bear with me. I've got a, a bit of a, a cold this week. No, that's not. He's uh, cackling because Penn State lost, and he was so happy. Ohio State was clearly the better team. They just had a rough first quarter. Um, Penn State, when it comes down to it, and you saw this in the fourth quarter of the Rose Bowl last year, and you saw this in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, they don't, and if you, they can't get the ball to Barkley. They're nothing. They in the passing game, it just jump balls. They just rely on luck and ma- winning matchups, and eventually, that doesn't work. I remember you tweeting me in that Rose Bowl last year, just talking about how they were just throwing the ball up and they were just getting jump ball after just, jump ball. It's garbage football. You got one good player in that defense. They got exposed in that fourth quarter. Like if you start throwing the ball downfield on them. I mean, the, the Ohio State, which goes back to the Sark thing, you go side to side, side to side. The announcers are ripping you. What's with all these these short passes, these bubble screens, all this crap? You go side to side. In the fourth quarter, what do you do? You hit them on seam routes right up the middle. I seem to remember you saying, also week one, that the offensive coordinator for Ohio State was pretty good, but he is going to need a little bit of time to get JT Barrett to do what he wants. Well, at the risk of turning this podcast into I'm right, um, yes, I was right. (laughs) We're going to say one more thing that he was right about, well, at least one, but it's one that I am very impressed about. With the new, uh, with the first college football playoff poll coming out to, and the number one team in the country is not the University of Alabama, but it was Pat's underrated team in Georgia. Good call, sir. My team is only number eight. Your team got to number one. Impressive. Well, that's because my team has a quarterback and yours doesn't. Yeah, your team has two. Um, Jake Fromm, who's... uh, Twitter handle is Jake from State Farm. Is it really? Yes. That is amazing. Now I want them to win the national championship <laughs> just because of that. It's steady. I thought they'd be a 9-3 team, 10-2. I didn't think that. They, they still could. They still they could. They still have to play Auburn. Um, they still have to play the SEC championship. I don't game. think they're the number one team. Uh, and Alabama's better than them, and we'll fit, find that out in all likelihood. Also, Notre Dame at number three? No. They're good. They're very good. But they're a lot like that 2012 team. They don't have a quarterback. They can't throw the ball. The defense is solid. But the difference between that team in 2012 and this team is that offensive line, and I talked about it before they played USC, monsters, absolute monsters. That said, they play an SEC team, which they already have. It's not going to go well. If Notre Dame – and this is what I said a couple weeks ago, where if Notre Dame continues to – to win, uh, they have a couple of tough games left. They still have Stanford on their schedule. They still have Miami on their schedule. And Miami, for all its faults and apparently can only win the game in the last two minutes, is still undefeated. You know, I mean, 
they have they still have some tough games left. So I think I think there's going to be another loss out there for Notre Dame, but I definitely think that if they win out, they're going they're going to be in the um, the championship game. They've got Wake Forest this week, but after that, their last three games are at Miami versus Navy, which Navy always Navy the last ten years has been giving them a problem, and then at Stanford. So, I think they're tough. I mean, I think that Miami might get them, but at the same time, like they could win that. They could beat Miami by three touchdowns. It's hard to tell. Um, one thing about Miami, Mark Richt making them go back to those old school Miami orange uniforms. Beautiful. So I love classic. Like, so classic. you don't need fancy crap. I hate how every single time Ohio State's in a big game, they got to wear some weird-looking pajama outfits. It looks like they're about to go cross, do CrossFit. Like, wear – you got cool uniforms, especially at night. The sparkling helmets, the scarlet jerseys. Like, quit dressing up like you're, you're Oregon and just be you. Michigan gets it. So here's uh, Miami's last four games. Florida State, <laughs> one by four, last second. Georgia Tech, one by one, last second. Syracuse, one by eight. Syracuse had a chance at the end. North Carolina, one by five. This week, they play at Virginia Tech. Yep. I think this is going to be their first loss. I think Miami, and then after that, they're going to South Bend. So that's going to be a rough two-game stretch. I think they're going to be losing this week to Virginia Tech, though. You know who they remind me of? is um, Tyron Willingham's first season at Notre Dame. I think he started 8 or 9 and 0. Mm-hmm. And every game, it would be like fourth quarter. they just pull it out of their ass. It's like Friday Night Lights. And eventually, the other shoe always drops. Speaking of dropping shoes, the Washington State Cougars are playing Stanford. And I know that it's fun to get all caught up in the uh, the – you know, top five ranking for the Cougars when they were undefeated. Were they top five? They were number eight. Oh, I thought they got up to like number six or something. They were eight. Okay, the top ten ranking. But they're down to like their eight string linebackers, and it showed last week. It showed that they're, they're not that good, and some YSU fans are freaking out that this is as good as they're going to be, which isn't true. They can, are continually getting better and evolving as a program. That said, they're playing Stanford at home, a day game out on the Palouse, which... I can't remember the last time that happened. Well, it's earlier. Last time it was 12.30 start. I couldn't tell you when that happened. Maybe 2013. Maybe. Um, also, it's worth noting that there's snow in the forecast. So, you and, might ask yourself, who does that help? Well, Stanford also has just announced that they're starting their backup quarterback. KJ Damn Costello it. is starting. I know. Oh. Uh, I know. As a Kook fan, I wanted uh, Keller Chris to get he, another He's start. one of the worst uh, Pac-12 quarterbacks I've ever seen. I mean, Kevin Lopin is up there. But uh, Ronnie Fouch, um, that guy who started one game for ten, for UCLA in, in New Hustle's first year, and he, he like – that Stanford quarterback's terrible, but I think they're going to beat the Cougars. It's going to be a third loss in four games. I think we're going to end up at about eight and four. You know, you asked me at the start of the year, 
eight and four, I take it. You ask me when we're seven and oh, six and when we're six and oh, sorry. Eight and four, obviously, just a little bit disappointing. But eight and four, okay. Ranked all year long, you know, it's, it's improvement. We're getting better. You know, the defense is young, especially the back seven. The back seven is young. Um, the offensive line always seems to find someone. The receivers are ridiculously young and talented. So I think that this is going to be a stepping stone, and I think the Cougs are now a consistently 8-10 to 10 win program. Which has never, ever happened before, other than three years, 15 years ago. The three years before I went to school there. Well, you were always going there, but they had me fooled. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I was going to WSU ever since I went to my first game in 1994. The very first game I went to, my first year there, they scored on the very first play. The and ghost. Then, then Idaho fumbles the kickoff, and they score three plays later. It's 14 nothing. There's 13 minutes left in the game. Thinking, God, this is awesome. This is like a top 20 team. They went four and seven. I don't care what you say. That is the greatest four and seven team in college football history. So I had no argument there. They lost five games, five of the seven games in the last minute. Yep, they were the anti Miami. Yep, going full circle. Okay, couple of uh, because pre- evil Mark Richton's goatee and his sunglasses. He's so cool. And I've just always and loved his that tan. Guy. He's, he's so cool. <laughs> you know he goes to the tanning bed before every game. Okay, a couple of predictions. Might as well do this. Um, you have Stanford beating the Cougs. Yep. I have Stanford beating the Cougs as well. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be 27-21, 27-20, right around there. But I think Stanford's going to win. Um, Fault does always – he always brings it against Stanford, though. So something to think about. That's true. That's true. Um uh, another game that we uh, touched on briefly uh, already was Miami Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech is going to win that game, and I, I think that, I think they're going to win that game comfortably. I think that's a double yeah. digit. I think that's a ten to fourteen point win for Virginia Tech. Blacksburg at night. I think you're absolutely right. I just I love and you can't. How do you? How can you compare? With the fog and with Sandman and with the, the crowd going nuts. Oh, that's one of the most underrated entrances for any college football team. I don't, I don't, I think it's properly rated at so? this point. I think it's properly rated. I love it. I love it. Considering uh, when they played Clemson, ESPN dedicated about 20 minutes to that introduction. That's true. Which isn't as bad as the 45 minutes, it seemed like. They dedicated to that Clemson run down a hill, which is just an invitation to sprain an ankle. And touching of a rock. I don't, I, I, can't the I don't get that. I, I don't get that. That why that's so freaking special. What the touching of the rock or the running down the running hill? down the hill because it's different. You always see some jackass kid like freshman fall over. Like you're running down a hill. Like how many kids have rolled their ankle? It's just you're you're jumping around, you're leaping, all this crap. There's so many so like better running out the tunnels. You had Michigan. Running out, hitting the hail of the victor sign. You got Miami running through the smoke. You got um, Vatek coming out to Sandman. coming out to Sandman. Tennessee through the T. Tennessee through the T. Um, you got as a visitor at LSU walking by a live Bengal tiger who's growling at you. 
And you got Oklahoma with the, the, the this boomer, boomer sooner. You got Colorado. Colorado with the Buffalo. And then you've got, oh. Hold on. We ran down a grassy knoll. Hold on. You forgot two of the best. The Flaming Spear at Florida State. That's true. I don't know how I forgot that, and I should be slapped. And and the, the sword in the ground at USC. Yeah. Those are both awesome. Yeah. Riding out on Traveler. Putting the sword in the ground, and then the Florida flame. State. I think Florida State is the best one for me. Just, it's ridiculous, and it just always pumps me up, despite the fact that Florida State is two and five. So that's a little rough. Um, we've talked about two of the games between ranked teams, uh, and we've agreed on both of those. I got a weird feeling we are going to disagree on the third game between two ranked teams, and that's Bedlam. That's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And I want to get your take on this game uh, first before I uh, say my thoughts and what I think is going to happen. I bet you can guess which way I'm going on this. I think you're leaning uh, Oklahoma red on this one, aren't you? That is correct. Uh, Oklahoma has always owned Bedlam, especially when OK State is either higher ranked or comparatively ranked. Oklahoma has to have a bad year to lose this game most of the time. They're not having a bad year. They're pretty good. Both these teams are really streaky. They start games fast. Um, I I ripped, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, Oklahoma State for how shitty they looked against TCU and how poorly coached they were. And then there was no point in watching that West Virginia game because it was obvious seven, eight minutes into the game, they were perfectly well prepared. They, re- they, they listened knew, to our podcast. They knew their assi- you could tell. They'd done their scout, and they knew exactly what West Virginia was going to do. And they attacked it. And why don't they do that every week? That's what's so frustrating with that team. Oklahoma, it's a young ta- young coaching staff, aside from Stoops. They're emotional. Who's probably they, the they worst coach them. on the staff, by the it's way. It's his last year. I've been saying it all year. Um, they, they start fast, and then they taper off. But... Sometimes they make it look easy. I'm going down to who's got the better lines, and that's Oklahoma by a landslide. They've got the better quarterback in my book and the better offensive line. I have no basis on why I think Oklahoma State is going to win this game. I think it's just a gut feeling on my part that Mason Rudolph is going to pull something, pull a Baker Mayfield, basically, and pull something out of his ass, and and Oklahoma State's going to win at the end. I do think this is going to be a case of whoever gets the ball last wins, and I think Oklahoma State is going to do it. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring, very entertaining game with probably a combined 1,000 yards of offense and probably a combined 75 to 80 points. But I think Oklahoma State is going to win, I'm going to say, 41-38, Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma's winning this game by two touchdowns. I think that Mason Rudolph cannot handle pressure, and Oklahoma's got a better defensive line than Oklahoma State has a better offensive line. If he doesn't get the ball out quick, he's going to throw a couple picks. It's going to be Oklahoma all the way. Boomer Sooner. I was wrong, by the way. There is one more uh, – game between two ranked teams. Oh, I wrote this one down. Clem- two, actually. Clemson, North Carolina State? Clemson, North Carolina State, LSU, Bama, Michigan State, Penn State. Michigan All State. ranked teams. LSU's ranked again? Oh, are they? I think they're 25. Are they? I don't know. WC is 25. No. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's start with. Oh, and actually, we, we forgot another one. Arizona USC. We don't need to talk about that. Arizona's going to win that game. I think USC is going to win that game. So there we go. Um, let's talk uh, good old Alabama LSU, the game of the SEC the last few years. I've got a factoid for you. I'm excited. I'm on pins and needles. Okay. As we all know, Alabama has owned this series lately to the tune of getting a coach that won 78% of his games fired in less miles. So, it's because Alabama has held LSU to 17 points or less in every single meeting since 2010 when they scored 24 points. Coincidentally, they won that game. So, there was only, and there was only one game in there that LSU won, right? And that was when they... 2011 when they scored nine points on three field goals and won. Yeah. They played L- they played Alabama twice in 2011. Great LSU team, the last great one. They yeah. didn't score a single touchdown in two games. They scored a combined nine points. They got shut out. I thought they had a f- one field goal in that national championship. I think it was 21 nothing. I thought it was 21-3. But anyways, yeah, I, I understand. They, I don't think they got past like the 40-yard line. All right. Well, Speed I- option against Alabama, don't run it. That was their entire game plan. It's never made sense to me. It, 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 it's kept me up nights. Um, that said, uh, LSU up front, talented, but not what they used to be. And Alabama is what they used to be, what they are, and what, and what they, they will be. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, I, I think it's going to be like 24 to 7 or something. They're not going to score 17 points, i tell you that much. LSU? Yeah. Not a chance at no. all. No. Uh, I think Alabama is going to win this game comfortably. Um, and they're just going to make it look easy like they have literally all year long. I mean, Alabama is the best team in the country for the 12th year in a row, it feels like. And, um, yeah, they're just going to continue, I think, rolling to the Iron Bowl. Which so They're going to roll right through the Iron Bowl. I think the game's going to be a, like the a most- big rolling ball of iron. <laughs> I think the game would be competitive. I think Alabama's going to win. I think it's going to be thirty-one to seven. So you think Alabama is going to beat Auburn by more than they're going to more than they're going to beat LSU? Yeah, because it's fucking LSU. They're going to show up. Like defensively, they're going to show up. Ed Ogeron always has a game like where he shouldn't win, not even close. I guarantee you, before they run out of the tunnel, Ed is going to go squeeze a few reps on that bench press and get that chest really rippling. And then he's going to go eat some gumbo. Dock down the sideline, all flexed up and screaming and yelling. They're going to show up. They're just not going to win. I, I agree. I agree. All right. Um, Penn State, Michigan State. Uh, Penn State is going to destroy them. Uh, Michigan State's scheme leaves the corners one-on-one. Penn State's got big receivers. They love that jump ball crap. They're going to throw a lot of them. They're going to hit a lot of them. And it's going to be a lot of that fear stuff when they're going to them up. I think so as well. I think Penn State is going to win this game. I think they're going to be upset after what happened in the fourth quarter last week. And I think that it's going to be pretty, pretty rough for Michigan State. I think this is where the good, good feeling story for the Spartans ends. But at least for Michigan State, it's basketball season now almost, and they are a top three team, and I think they have the best player in the country. But we'll talk about that a little later. 
Do we have another game to cover? We, uh, Clemson, Clemson, NC State. It's going to be a blowout. NC State is coming back down to earth. I think this will be what their third straight loss. Three I out of up four. Front four, and then they let me down. Yeah, they hit the meat of their schedule, though. I mean, that was a that that was a good Notre Dame team. I mean, that that is a good defensive line, but that offensive line for Notre Dame just made them look mortal. Oh, I got a small rant on that. Um, despite the fact that Webster's Dictionary has changed the meaning of literally to not actually meaning literally and, and said to be a point of emphasis, Notre Dame posting a highlight of a run from the game last week on Twitter and saying their running back was literally flying still drives me nuts. You sound like Ted Mosby from <laughs> How I Met Your Mother, where his biggest pet peeve was people misusing the word literally. And he said it for nine seasons. Well, congratulations. You worked at How I Met Your Mother. Reference. That's true. And it was without me. show is your North Star. And it was without me being Ted Mosby, which is the weird part. You are Ted Mosby. You say I am? Yeah. 100%. But we're not going to get into that right now. All right. We got baseball. Let's talk a little bit about the Houston Astros. Now, Sports Illustrated in 2014 said your World Series champs in 2017, the Houston Astros, and everyone scoffed. And they said that they would do it based on their hitting with George Springer and Carlos Correa and their pitching behind Mark Appel, who was the number one draft pick that year. Mark Appel never pitched in the majors for the Houston Astros. He got traded when he was still a minor leaguer, I think, to the, I don't even know, maybe the Pirates or something. But it didn't matter because they had they traded for Verlander. They tr- Dallas Keuchel came out of nowhere, and that team is scary. And they are young, and they are good, and they are going to be there for at least the next few years. Altuve is... 27, Correa's 23, Springer's 28, Alex Bregman's 23. I mean, Verlander is the elder statesman at 34. I think Keuchel's 29 or 30. Um, there are three, four, five st- starters who were there in their bullpen for the World Series. They didn't use they they didn't trust their bullpen at all, which was surprising that a team that didn't trust their bullpen won the World Series. I mean, well, they're clever enough to manage around it. The manager. All the credit in the world. I mean, game seven yesterday, they used a normal reliever for two outs. They used five pitchers. Three of them were starters. They had Dallas Keuchel, who started two days before, three days before, two or three days, uh, in the bullpen ready to go if they need it. They had Verlander getting loose, who pitched the night before if needed. They trusted their starters, and A.J. Hinch rode his gut to a to a winning the World Series, whereas Dave Roberts wrote his gut to losing the World Series. You Darvish should have been pulled before the Springer home run yesterday, and then it's interesting uh, to the people who say Clayton Kershaw should have started because he pitched four innings. I don't think he should have started. Um, I think Darvish should have started, but I think they should have had a quicker hook. To reinforce your point on uh, Dave Roberts going with his gut and backfiring, baseball, like in the playoffs, is like basketball in the playoffs. You shorten your rotation up, and you've got a real quick hook. You're just buying outs, really, with pitchers. You absolutely and are. I listened to 
some of the game last night, and starting pitcher for the Astros was wild. He hit four batters in two and a but third innings. They kept him in to get a guy who had struck. He'd struck out every single time. Uh, Cody Bellinger. Yeah, just, just that, and they knew they were going to pull him. They had a quick hook. It was very decisive. They didn't leave anybody out there. And Dave Roberts, kind of old school baseball guy, left left a starter in too long. You uh, ask most Dodger fans if they go from you Darvish to Brandon Morrow to Clayton Kershaw. Wait, Brandon Morrow was pitching in the World Series? Brandon Morrow pitched in all seven games of the World Series for the Dodgers. He became the second player, second pitcher in Major League history to pitch in all seven games. Yes, former Mariner Brandon Morrow, who was a minor league invitee this year. So, yeah, good story there on Brandon Morrow. But you ask most Dodger fans, that's the way it went. They would say they would take that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. But they would expect Darvish to give up or to get more than five outs and to give up less than five runs. Um, The World Series was one of the better World Series I can remember in the last 25 years. Uh, Game 7 was a little bit of a dud, but it had two games that were people are going to remember for a long time, Games 2 and Game 5. And I think that uh, the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Indians – are the favorites to win it next year as well with the Yankees if the Yankees can get another starting pitcher. They because they're gonna well, they need a manager. They do need a manager. It, that's another thing that's crazy. Three of the teams that made the playoffs fired their manager. Well, I think that with the Yankees, it was a mutual thing because I mean it was it was more Yankees than Girardi. He'd been there for a long time, and maybe he'd lost the fire a little bit. Yeah, I'm not surprised the Nationals got rid of Dusty Baker because I've never thought Dusty Baker was that good of a manager. I think he overuses his starting rotation way too much. Absolutely, but the way they handled it was shit. Agreed, agreed. But I I, I think he's always been overrated as a manager. Um, and then the- I'm gonna I'm gonna interject there for a guy you all, you have said for as long as I've known you is overrated as a manager. He keeps finding his way into the playoffs. He does, but then he but think about the teams that he has managed. Think about he had the best player in the world in Barry Bonds with the Giants. He had think about that Nationals team. You've got two of the top probably six or seven pitchers in all of baseball. You have one of the top three outfielders in all of baseball. You have a top five okay, third so baseman. Okay, so let me ask you something. I'm going to turn this on your head. Lou Pinella. Overrated he, as a manager. He is. He absolutely two is. Two World Series. Overrated. Five playoffs. Overrated wins. once he left the Reds. When he was the Mariners, the Rays, and the Cubs manager, overrated. Yes. Well... In his defense, no one was going to win at the Rays back then, and nobody was going to win at the Cubs. He also won 116 games. You you know how much I love Lou Pinella. But he also had Randy Johnson, Edgar Martinez, okay. Ken Griffey Jr., now you're going to Alex get me Rodriguez. Going. You're going to get me on a rant now because, yes. But I don't think that them not winning when he was here 
not winning World Series was in any way his fault. I think if you have three of the top 30 players in baseball history and Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez, and King Griffey Jr. on your team, you the blame's on everyone. So I'm not going to say it. Okay. All of the All blame right. is All on right. him. Let's, let's just – let's okay. How much what, – what time are we? We're at about 36. Okay. So, yes, he had those three players. He had those three players. And Edgar and Buner. And Edgar and Buner. Okay. And Dan Wilson, a fine catcher. But look at that, that pitching staff on that bullpen. You can have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on a team. But if you have Craig Hodges at point guard, you're not getting past the second round in the Eastern Conference in the 80s. Sterling Hitchcock was a number two pitcher there. They gave up Tino Martinez for him. Chris Bazio, Bob Wolcott, Bob Yayala was your closer. Strictly with Pinella's fault on this one because he was Italian. Um, and because I think it was a son-in-law. <laughs> then they, they finally got Jamie Moyer. Okay, that's good. You have two pitchers now. They had the greatest, one of the greatest center fielders ever, the greatest left-hander ever, one of the greatest shortstops ever, the greatest DH ever, one of the greatest blind-in-his-right-eye batters ever. I would say he's probably the greatest. <laughs> but you also had guys like David Segui. You had Felix Fermin. You had bums. You had veterans. You had a shit farm system, and I do not think that's at his fault. I think it's the organization's fault. Fine, that's f- fine. But what about what about two thousand one? What about that hundred and sixteen win team? They weren't built for the playoffs. They were built for a regular season. They didn't have an ace. They did not have an ace. So okay, so so then what he should have done? You're right. They didn't have an ace. Um, but so what he should have done then is what AJ Hinch did. And kind of gone by committee, which is what more teams are doing. Nobody now. was doing that at that, that, that I know. That's like saying You know who started it? That's like saying the eighty seven Bears when Doug Flutie had to start in the NFC championship should have oh, they should just run the read option. It wasn't invented yet, but they should have run it. You know who started it? Close to starting it? Joe Madden. Well, of course. That's why he's one of the best managers. He's out of the box. He's out of the box. Yep. Lou Pinelli, he's he is a very good manager. Very good. But he was not an out-of-the-box guy. Lou I mean, he has the World Series, so higher up than Dusty Baker. But honestly, similar spots in my mind. Whew, because that's rolling over in his golf cart here in that comparison. Oh, I would love I would love to go <laughs> golfing with Pinella. That would be awesome. I'll tell you what, I'll go talk to my Lou Pinella bobblehead at work tomorrow and see what he has to say about it. Um, and then, if there's a Lou Pinella bobblehead, does, it, does he have a hat on, or is he? It's tipped. <laughs> okay. The hat is tipped. It's not on. Um, I want a bobblehead of him kicking a base, though. You wanted to talk about Carlos Correa. Correa? Yeah. Correa? Let's talk a little bit about Carlos Correa. 23-year-old kid. There's a, a gif of him after watching Altuve get the last out of the World Series where he's literally jumping like an 8-year-old. He's so excited. The whole team is so excited. And then Correa stops an interview to propose to his girlfriend, now fiance, who is Miss Texas. So Correa, good on you. And um, all people wanted to talk about were not that the Astros won the World Series, but was Correa hogging the spotlight 
by proposing to his girlfriend. I think that is absolutely asinine. I think that this is the biggest day of his life all up to this point, winning the World Series. Nothing gets bigger in the baseball world. And he wanted to, you know, put a cap on it. And he wanted to say, you know, this is going to be what I'm going to do. No one had a problem with Ian Johnson when he proposed to his girlfriend after scoring the game-winning two-point conversion against Oklahoma for Boise State. What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Boise State wasn't supposed to win? Football fans. Baseball fans. This is why baseball sucks. This is why the, the viewership of baseball, aside from this World Series, it's been going down. This is why their market share goes down. Because the games are four hours long, and three and a half hours of it is guys grabbing their crotch and spitting. It's just old-fashioned fans. Oh, games got to play the right way. Blah, 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 blah. All about the team. They got a mouthful of sunflower seeds. Or tobacco. They're keeping score. They got a dip in. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Time out. They no. don't like guys celebrate. There's no celebrating. You got to respect the game. Okay. Don't celebrate. Okay. I, I know you love your sunflower season keeping score. <laughs> Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank That's, you. It's fine. But it's the whole respect the game crap. They're going to respect that game into its grave. It's football is not exactly the most progressive game in the world, but this was. 12 years ago when Ian Johnson proposed and everyone is like, what a great moment. Wow. Incredible. The Houston Astros who had never won a world series before full of young kids, as you pointed out, just won the freaking world series against the Dodgers. One of the classic franchises. It's a big moment. He's dating miss Texas. Wouldn't you propose? I would have. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is just classic baseball crap. The only fan base more entitled and smug and old-fashioned is soccer. I love it because I knew where you were going with that, and it's so true. And here's the thing about soccer. I played soccer. I understand soccer. I've watched a lot of soccer. I don't get this mythical quality about a game that is based entirely around triangles in a very simple way. You pass, you cut. You pass, you cut. And then you act like it's artistry. Okay. So we're recording this podcast on Thursday. Now, a few days ago, I don't even know when it was. Maybe it was a week ago. The Seattle Sounders and Vancouver Whitecaps played to a scoreless draw in the first leg of the playoffs. It is halftime of the game, the second leg here in Seattle. And do you want to know what the score is? Zero, zero. It is zero to zero. That is why I can't get into soccer is because I understand the beauty of the game to the people who played it and to the people who grew up, you know, studying it and, and enjoying it. But because I never did that for years, I thought I was missing something. I was like, yeah, I played the game, but, Maybe I didn't understand it. So I tried really hard to watch it and understand it. And it still is a simple game. It's the world's game because all you need is two rocks and a ball. Or two rocks set up to be a goal, two rocks on the other end, then you kick a rock down the field. <laughs> like it's, it's, I get that. Anybody can play soccer. But this pomposity that their fans act with, 
they, especially the fans around here, these scarf-wearing freaks with their homebrew and their beards, and not not you know, and it's 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 the neck beards, and they're wearing their flip flops, and they're singing their songs, and they're banging their kettle, but they still drink Starbucks and. Or a local. They act like, oh God, they're, they're the greatest fans in the world. They know, they know what you know. Nobody understands soccer, but me. They can go to hell. Um, that's yeah. all. I, that's all I'm going to say now about soccer. But as as time goes on, oh by the way, I watch the World Cup. I eat that up, but yeah. it's still. I will not watch it more for the as crowds as. <clears throat> football or basketball, in my opinion. Speaking of basketball, we've got about 10 minutes left here. Three minutes on basketball, and then I got something for the last few minutes. Okay. I'm going to do a quick little preview, I think, of college basketball. First of all, the rankings have come out this week, and once again, Duke is the number one team in the country. And Right or wrong? Wrong. They... It's another case of Duke with one senior and a bunch of freshmen, and they think that because it's the most talented team, and they might be one of the most talented teams, if not the most talented team in the country. But I still think that Duke is they're going to have some growing pains, and Grayson Allen is still there, and he's still going to be kicking people and screaming and getting technicals and punching people in the nuts and doing Grayson Allen things. And I, I just think it's going to be too big of a distraction once again for Duke. Last year they were a two seed and they lost to South Carolina, who was a seven seed. Now South Carolina obviously turned out to be pretty good. They made the final four and they have, in my opinion, a top five coach in all of college basketball and Frank Martin. But I think that, something similar is going to happen to Duke this year. Now, if you asked me a month ago who I think is going to win the national title, Arizona. Arizona, in my opinion, is the most talented team in the country. They have the most returning firepower, and they had two top ten recruits. Arizona's been the most talented team in the country stuff like for five years. It has. It has. And they haven't even made a Final Four, have they? No, they haven't. But you know what? Gonzaga made a Final Four this year. So Sean Miller is now the best coach to have not made a Final Four. And I think it's going... You obviously forget Lorenzo Romar. Pat, do you know where <laughs> Lorenzo Romar is? I don't know. He's assistant in St. Louis? He's an assistant at Arizona. Oh, well, somebody <laughs> somebody knows where their brand is buttered on recruiting then. Yes, exactly. So, but... The so they reason, kept the staff open to whoever's got a five-star recruit as a son. The reason why I'm hesitant about Arizona is because I think what's going on with the FBI probe and the indictment is going to be a distraction for them. I think it's going to be a distraction for USC. I think it's going to be a distraction for Arizona. I think it already is a distraction for Louisville. I think Bruce Pearl is going to be the next head coach to get fired at Auburn because he has already been, you know, basically kicked out of everywhere he's been. And now he's had a coach get fired. I think it's going to be a problem at Oklahoma State. I think it's going to be a problem at Alabama, where Avery Johnson is. I think, yeah, Avery Johnson is the head coach at Alabama. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think, and that is why that is why I think Arizona is also going to underperform. Now, who do I think is going to win it all this year? I say pretty much the same thing every year, and I've been wrong the last few years. I 
Michigan State has the best player in the country in Miles Bridges, in my opinion. I do not think they are going to win it, though. You ask me right now who I think is going to win the national championship, I'm going to lean Kentucky. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a big leap. Well, you want me to th- give you one outside the box? Yeah. Wichita State. Okay. Right. Wichita State <laughs> returns everyone from a – Michigan State won't make it to the Sweet 16. Michigan uh, – it depends on injuries. Michigan State had every player injured last year, and if it's something similar happens this year, then you're right. But Wichita State returns everyone from, and and they also have a top, uh, I think, thirty recruit coming in as well from a team that took Michigan or took Kentucky to the very very end in the second round of the tournament as a seven seed, and that was a very underseeded Wichita State team. There's no way they should have been playing Kentucky in the second round. Um. Wichita State is my dark horse to win the national championship. Um, they moved to the AAC, the American Conference, same one as Villanova, same one as UConn. So they're going to have stiff, stiffer competition in the regular season, which I think is going to help them. And I think that they are very well set up. And I think they're going to. It's going to be them and Villanova to win the conference. And I think Wichita State is going to win the conference. And I think they're going to be a top two or three seed in the tournament. So that is my outside of the box pick. All right. Um, another team to keep an eye out for, if if the fra- infractions don't <coughs> uh, mess them up too much, USC is a very talented team this year. Oh, they're going down though. That that that, <coughs> that staff is uh, they're they're going down. I think you're right. I think if for some reason they can hold it together, though, that is an elite eight team. Elite eight think, final. They already 14. fire a guy. Well, they had one of the guys get indicted. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like that, yeah, okay. Yes, they're talented, but you know why? As always. That's always, always with USC. With USC. Yep. It doesn't matter the sport. If they're good, you know why. Yep. Um, keep an eye out so, for Florida as well. Florida is going to make some noise too. Stranger Things came out this past week on Netflix. Um I don't think I've seen a show that encompasses life before as a kid, um, before how it's after parents and um, video games and computers and the internet and the lifestyle that kids, I assume, live now where they're just inside all the time. That said, um, it's about 80s. It's got 80s music. And so I was listening to Foreigner uh, today. Which song? Uh I want to know what love is. Such a good song. It's just the cheesiest freaking song in the world. And so I got to thinking, you and I, for the or 90s children, we grew up, we were you know, alive in the 80s, but not substantially. Um, and the 80s are known for ballads and slow dance and middle school swan songs. And so it got me thinking. What's the cheese of the 90s? We got grunge, we got metal, we got uh, rap, we've got all sorts of crap, but, you know, and alternative music, Bush, Foo Fighters, things like that. It depends. Do you want early 90s cheese or late 90s cheese? Because there is a very big difference between the two. I'm talking in the 90s. What's your cheese? You're you're in a middle school dance and you got the DJ's ear 
and you want to get, you know, some girl. Early 90s, dancing. you're going, Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. Okay. That is the cheese of the early 90s. Late 90s, it does not get any more cheesy than the Backstreet Boys. I'm going to disagree with you there. You knew I was going Backstreet Boys, didn't you? No, I didn't. I was worried that you were going to agree with me. Um, you want cheese. It doesn't get cheesier than Casey and JoJo all my life. Oh, like that's, I mean, that song just blanketed dances, weddings, anything. It's probably, I bet you'll still find it at a, uh, at a wedding. Oh, it's going to be played. Slow dance. It's going to be played at mine. All my life by Casey and Jojo. And I'd say the mid nineties, I'm going to tip my cap to you. Cause I know this strikes up fond memories. Monica, uh, angel of mine. That is a cheesy song. So, for anyone who is listening who doesn't know me, so probably no one, but I got my first kiss to Angel of Mine by Monica at skate night in the eighth grade. Do kids still do that? Like skate, skate night? night? Like there's a, the skate king around here. Do they still do the snowball? Or you skate so. around the ring? You skate around the ring, and then the last hour, the last days? hour was always dancing. You would take off your shoes. You would go out onto the floor. Onto the onto the skating rink, and you would, um, you would dance. Um, I don't think they do anymore. I just imagine kids these days being hermits. Yeah, you just wherever you are, your face is buried in a screen. Hot take, by the way. I have yet to watch either season of Stranger Things, but it is on my list. Do you have Netflix? I do. Then what's your excuse? I just haven't clicked on it. I don't have an excuse. Oh man, it's good. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not one of those people that, I know you're not. that just gushes over shows unless I really have a passionate connection to it. And that it's just a great show. I haven't seen the second season yet, but the previews, this montage of a party scene where you get the, the jock, he's got his big sunglasses, 80 sunglasses, his hair is Quaffed in the 80s. Sister Christian They've going. Got thriller playing. Oh, damn it. Everyone just dancing, having a good time. But, oh, my God. It's just, it's so 80s. It is next on my list. Well, so I love, I'm really becoming a fan of period piece shows that get it right. Like, The Crown on Netflix, it gets Queen Elizabeth. He got the, you know, late 40s in England. But, it's... It's all gloomy. It's always raining, which it is always raining in England. But, <laughs> so we got it right. Um, like Mad Men, Stranger Things, where it just ca- it gets the style, the feel of it. Freaks and Geeks. Did you ever watch Freaks and no, Geeks? No. No. I, I wouldn't even admit to watching that. How do you not? Uh, Jason. Or, yeah, it had a great cast. Yeah. But I was trying to be cool. Why would I watch that watch show? I'm watching Total Request Live with Carson Daly. <laughs> Yeah, trying to fit in with the with, know what the girls are talking about. Hit me, baby, one more time. Ended its five day run. <laughs> I, guarantee you, I, I guarantee you, it went longer than five days. Well, wasn't there? There was always like a certain amount of days it could be at number one, and then they retired the video. I think it was a lot more than five. Maybe it was. That's another thing. Like, just a show for teenagers. That's what it was. You go home, you turn on MTV, and granted, did you even have cable out in your no, – out, out in Pleasantville? Yes, we had cable. And you didn't have video games. So you live on the end of a dirt road. Okay, two things. <laughs> One, 
the video games was the parents' choice, but yes, we had TV too. You didn't even think that was a dirt road when you went on it. That's because it just had gotten oiled. Yeah, that's true. I bet if I go there now, it's a little bit dirtier. It's probably covered in snow now. It's not snowing there. No, it's not. No, but it's snowing up at the pass. Yes, it is. Ah, I can't wait to go snowboarding this year. You're not going to go snowboarding. I am. Did you go snowboarding last year? No, but now I have. When was the last time you went snowboarding? Uh, I went. You're, actually, I went once last year. Oh. January 2nd. Why do you remember that? So? Because it was the day after New Year's. That's how I remember. Were you hung over? Oh, yeah. Okay. We were going to go We were gonna go tubing, but the tubing hill was closed, and we're like, well, shit, let's rent stuff and go snowboarding. I like how you had a little moral dichotomy over there where you say shit or shit. Yeah. I did. Um, but, you know, I have a little bit of more discretionary. Dichotomy was the wrong word there. I apologize. It's okay. Um, but uh, the basketball blog writer, I think we still have a basketball blog writer. But oh, he tell, he's, he's told me he's going to start writing things in January again. Uh, he is selling me his snowboard. So I'm For how much? selling, giving, I don't know what we're, we haven't talked, talked the details out yet, but I'm getting a snowboard. So I'm going to have an easier time to go up there now. Let's do it. Well, on that note, I did want to mention Casey and Jojo. I'm trying. What's that Backstreet Boys song? Uh, I wanted that away. Oh my god! I heard it on the radio this morning. I kid you not. It was on one hundred six point nine. Yeah, it wasn't even on the throwback station. That song was. That that was so. That's the cheesiest song of the 90s, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Upon reflection, it doesn't get any worse than that. <laughs> Casey and JoJo is a solid song. I thought Casey were, and JoJo is a really good song, you know what but else so I, is I Want to Know What Love Is. You want, you want to know what else I thought you were going to say? When you were talking about mid-90s, I thought you were going to say, I Believe I Can Fly. That I don't even acknowledge that song. I pissed on that song. <laughs> R. Kelly pun. And on that note, we are done. Thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week.